Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here alongside our regular cast. We've got Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care. How are you, Cooper? I'm doing great this evening, Scott. Scott. Oh, man, you're, you're changing my name. You're going to throw back to Scott Fitzgerald, but that, that's okay. That's okay. We've got Nicole Bruno here with Transitions Guiding Lights. Should we change your name to Nicole, or are you know. still Nicole? I am so confused. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to say, but I am so glad to be here. Two weeks away from the wedding? Are you excited? I know. I am very excited. Super excited. It's going to be good. a good day. Well, we're, we're all rooting for you. Uh, we're, we're waiting on our invites, too. Made the, uh, well, there's no invites. This is just a little private ceremony, but may the warm weather continue and perhaps we'll have a picnic this summer and have a little casual celebration. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, our our plan to crash the wedding may may be put on hold then if there are going to be no guests. So we may have to uh, recalibrate that plan. Well, Cooper, let's uh, let's get into the show here. Uh, You know, we we talk about aging matters and, uh, you know, the, the thing about this topic is that a lot of times we're, we're thrust into uh, a situation of caregiving and uh, or, you know, you're taking care of uh, an older loved one and you maybe you're not exactly sure of where to go and what's available to you because you're just kind of that situation just happens. It's not something that we typically plan for, although we probably should. Well, we should be planning, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And that's a whole lot of what this show is about, Jason, is that uh, we're not prepared for things we've never experienced before, or even if we have experienced them, each time we go through a caregiving experience, the trajectory may be different. Uh, one of the things people think sometimes they know about is uh, the Council on Aging, and they believe that there's one in their community, and they think they know what it's like. Some Council on Aging's are fairly straightforward in what they have to offer, and some are incredibly robust. Uh, Wake County is absolutely blessed in that there is an incredible organization called Resources for Seniors, which many people have heard of, and in my opinion, very few people actually know. They don't really know what Resources for Seniors offers. So we thought we would bring uh, folks on this evening who can give us more detail than anybody else. And so we have uh, Kristen Brannick who is the president of Resources for Seniors, and we have Scott Waterhouse, who's the director of information services. And between the two of them, we have absolute expertise on this. So welcome to the show, y'all. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. You know, we let's start with why are you Resources for Seniors? Where does that name came come from? How did you get here? Well, I think, you know, a great way to describe how we've come to where we are now is to kind of get a little perspective. In um, April of this year, we're going to celebrate our 45th anniversary of service here in Wake County. And um, the early 70s was a time right after the signing of the Older Americans Act that federal policymakers and really citizens of the country said, hey, older adults need to have a place right there in their local communities where they can Um, continue to be a vital part of the community and also can access really important services. So this basic core group of services. So we um, were founded in 1973. We're just a post office box down there near NC State University. No staff, no budget, but just a core group of individuals that said, 
this is something important that we need to bring to this area. We were formed as the Council on Aging of Wake County, and we later changed our name in 1991 to Resources for Seniors to kind of better reflect what we do in the community. It's more accurate. gives right. people an idea. Because somewhat, the name Council on Aging is, I don't know, it sounds like a government entity. It's, it's, right. it's a little confusing. Um, you guys were also one of the very first home care companies in this area, were you not? We were. We were the first home care um, organization in Wake County, and we also opened the first adult day program. It used to be called adult daycare um, back in the back in the early late seventies. So, not only have you been doing this for forty five years, but you actually were real innovators in what those resources would be for seniors in the years to come. You're right. So as we're talking about resources for seniors, it sounds like, and I know for a fact, that you have so many different programs and services. And I know, depending on what county you're in, what that looks like and what's housed within the traditional Council on Aging is sometimes different. So in Wake County, what types of programs and services does resources for seniors cover? Well, we actually have about 19 different programs and services. So we're best known, um, and I think the thing that people um, think of first when they think of resources for seniors is um, our great resource directory and our great information services division. So we like to be known as the place to go when you don't know where to go. And it's always a struggle. You know, we hear all the time one of the great challenges and and finding care for older adults is knowing what's out there and knowing what's available. So we take um, a lot of pride in our resource directory and also our online searchable database of resources. You can call our organization between the hours of 8 and 5, and we always have a consultation and referral specialist on the line to talk to you about your individual situation. We also take a lot of pride in not just giving out names and numbers of other organizations. We spend a lot of time talking about your individual situation and and kind of um, making suggestions and helping link people up to resources, not just in our organization, but across the county. You mentioned an online directory. How do people find that? So you can go to resourcesforseniors.com, and there's a big button right on the front of our homepage that says Find Resources. Yeah, you just click on the button. It's a red button. It says Find Wake County Resources, and it'll take you to a, a, a keyword page, and you can do it A to Z. So if you're looking for home care, you hit the H, and you scroll down. If you hit home care, it'll open up a whole list of agencies that operate within our county. Uh, the majority of them are for-profit, but there are some non-profit ones available within that search, too. So it's an A to Z of trying to find. Right now, we're close to 1,500 resources that are available within this database. Uh, we It increases each year. Uh, our county is, is growing in such a way that a lot of uh, companies are moving into the area and see the need to try to fill the population that we have that are 65 and older. And even those that are, are adults with disabilities are looking for those type of resources as well. So I know, Kristen, you mentioned you have 19 different programs and services, and I bet there are a few you wish people knew more about that they probably don't. What are some of your best-kept secrets, would you say? 
Well, you know, one of the things that we spend an awful lot of time doing that makes us a little different than other similar organizations is our Housing and Home Improvement Division. So we find a lot of times that there's this misconception that people need all sorts of support in order to stay at home independently. And really, that's our mission. Everything we do is to help people stay at home for as long as possible. In our Housing and Home Improvement Program, we help people stay at home safely. So we have a home repair specialist that spends 40 hours a week going out in the community, helping people with minor um, plumbing issues, helping install grab bars. We have um, just a literal army of volunteers to help build wheelchair ramps. We um, enjoy partnering with several large organizations like the North Carolina Housing Finance Association, the city of Raleigh, um, a few other local municipalities to help do some limited home repair, larger issues like um, putting on a roof, um, fixing a hole in the floor, a wobbly commode, some of those other things that may be safety issues that would cause someone to have to leave you know, to leave their home. Yeah, very good. We're speaking with uh, Kristen Brannick and Scott Waterhouse. They are with Resources for Seniors, and we will continue our conversation in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them online at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good evening to you. Jason Kong here alongside Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton. Cooper, you're uh, you're sporting an injury here. Are you, are you okay? Did you... you know, it's it's a joke in our household. For all the outside crazy stuff our family does, you get cut in the kitchen fixing dinner. It's the more pedestrian <laughs> things in life that uh, that get you. I knew bacon was going to kill him one way or another. <laughs> he was slicing up some bacon. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. I, let's be honest. If I was ever going to cheat on my wife, it would probably be with bacon. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. But, uh, Cooper, we have, we appreciate you playing Hurt. I know that's your broadcasting hand that you, yeah, uh, you I don't know what I don't know how I'd make it without yeah, it. Yeah, I, I know, I know. It's the one I use the sock puppets it's, with. So. Uh, it's, it's a marvel to see you play in your condition or continue <laughs> to do the show in your condition. But uh, enough of that nonsense. We've got Scott Waterhouse and Kristen Brannick here in the studio with Resources for Seniors. And uh, Cooper, we were just finishing up uh, talking a little bit about the, uh, the housing and home repair services that they provide. Well, I, I, I think we wrapped up that section almost too early. There's mm-hmm. still so many pieces of the housing and home improvement uh, that folks don't know about. And one of them is your weatherization program. Can you can you guys talk about that in a little more detail? Sure, sure. We are a longstanding provider of weatherization services in Wake County. And most recently, about four years ago, we were asked to also pick up Durham County. So we provide this service there as well. The weatherization assistance program is actually an energy savings program. Um, it's not just for older adults. It's for um, families of all ages who meet certain income requirements. 
Um, and this is an opportunity to have a home energy audit conducted on your home and then have some pretty significant energy improvement measures take place as well. So things like insulation and um, upgrades and repairs, perhaps, to your HVAC system, your heating and cooling system. And, and some people say, hey, why does that fit in with your mission? Well, this is a great way for older adults, adults with disabilities, and lower-income families to save some money on, on their home heating and cooling costs and also to have some improved safety and comfort in their home improve their disposable income to the point that they have more dollars to spend on important things like medication and food. So how does somebody qualify for a program like that? Well, the great thing, I mentioned our information services department before, um, our information staff is equipped to talk with people on the phone and screen them for these programs. So for the weatherization program, there are um, income eligibility requirements mm -hmm. that are set by the Department of Energy and the North Carolina Weatherization Assistance Program. So the good news is when you call, you don't have to know all of these things. Yeah, so right? whether we're talking about home care or adult day services or weatherization or other housing and home improvement programs, our information staff can walk the caller through eligibility. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier about the home repair specialist, so a good number of the services we provide in that department are done on a sliding scale fee. Okay. And that allows us to expand our reach to more to more clients who need us. So one of the, my most favorite programs that exists out there and is something that I used to be heavily involved with in a different state is adult daycare. I truly believe that's one of the best kept secrets because it really allows a person to maintain their independence in their home a lot longer. And it tends to be a lot more affordable than a lot of the other uh, types of community-based in-home care. Talk to us a little bit about what adult daycare centers are and how you offer them through resources for seniors. Sure. So our brand name for adult day programs are the Total Life Centers. We have four Total Life Centers um, in Wake County. Um, three are combination model settings. They have a nurse on staff and they're equipped to help deal with certain health issues. Um, and we have one social model center down in Garner. So. Well, what's this combination you're yeah. saying? What does that mean? It's a combination health and social model. So um, the state requires that adult day programs that are a combination or a health model would have a nurse on staff at least four hours a day. And they're better equipped to take care of folks that maybe have chronic health conditions or need some daily nursing care. So what are some things those nurses can do? When someone's at an adult daycare center, if they're going to that medical model as opposed to strictly the social one. Well, if they're going to that medical model, we have folks that require blood sugar testing. We have folks that require um, um, di different types of diets. Um, yeah, medication can be administered at both models, but certain types of nursing skills like, what am I trying to say, artificial through a through a tube, tube feedings, things like that, um, can be accommodated with a nurse on staff. And so, for folks who aren't familiar, what adult daycare is, explain a little bit about what exactly is an adult daycare center. 
a lot of people want to equate it normally to child Exactly. I'm picturing but a room full of beds and everybody sleeps and no, has a meal and goes home. <laughs> you might have a similar schedule of activity mm-hmm. that happened throughout the day, but the activities are also geared towards those individuals. And you might have people with dementia. Some people that might be there might have MS or cerebral palsy. So activities are geared around what they can and can't do. So some might have shorter activities mm-hmm. involved for them. A person with dementia might have a shorter attention span, so that group of people might do a certain type of activity for a certain period of time. But you're going to have a full day of activities, and one of the balancing acts to that is you're keeping these people active during the day, and at night they're actually tired and want to sleep, where where you have people with dementia that uh, – an old phrase that was used, sundowners, they want to be up all night. Well, this actually gives them activity socialization during the day, and they're not laying in a chair at their house during the day, napping all day long, and then wide awake at night, and the caregiver has to care for Well, and let's not forget about the caregiver, because for that individual to go out during the day and be somewhere that they know that they're safe and secure, that caregiver gets that famous term respite, that ability to just take care of themselves. Perhaps they're still having a job. Perhaps they just want to take a nap. Perhaps they want to go shopping and get together with friends or go to a church group or have some sort of a life outside of their caregiving role, I really believe that adult daycare extends the capability of a family caregiver to continue in that role longer and in a more healthy fashion. Wouldn't you agree? I definitely agree. And the nice thing are a lot of the hours that we keep for this. This program, you can bring someone as early as 7 o'clock in the morning. They can stay as late as 6 o'clock at night. So a person can get a full eight-hour workday in around this schedule. And so you know, we look at those opportunities, and you know, when you say respite, I always remember the way I was taught it. It's it's about a person being able to get a rest a bit. You know, <laughs> it gives them that little break in their life. And even on Saturdays, we alternate between two of our adult day service programs, where uh, Carrie and Raleigh locations a person can get some hours in on saturday and have a person there and typically a saturday is when you want to relax and so it gives you time to do some things that you want to do personally for yourself or for caregivers to even go attend to their own medical needs which we know tend to not be fully addressed Uh, before we get out of this conversation on adult daycare though i have a question how is this paid for So there's several different sources um, for paying for adult daycare. Um, Here in Wake County, we maintain the waiting list for the county. There's some funds through the state adult daycare fund, also through the home and community care block grant. Typically, there's waiting lists for adult day services, but they're generally not as long as they are for in-home aid services. Uh, We also have folks that pay privately to come to the Total Life Centers. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, long-term care insurance, if folks had a policy like that, that can also assist in paying for them as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a number of clients that use long-term care policies. Yeah, very good. We're speaking with Kristen Brannick and Scott Waterhouse. They are with Resources for Seniors, and we will continue our conversation right after this break. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
News Radio 680 WPTF, you are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong with Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton, and our guests this evening are Scott Waterhouse and Kristen Brannick with Resources for Seniors. And Cooper, we've uh, we've covered uh, a little bit of ground so far but resources for seniors they they do a whole lot so we need to we need to pick up the pace here a little bit we're going to try and pick it up you know it's when you have uh, an organization that has 19 programs that they operate and and you have a one radio show you're starting to to get up against the wall to cover it all but one of the things we touched on earlier was that uh, you're a very innovative organization you were the first in a lot of ways but your innovation is continuing with respect to pharmacology and older adults, and you have an interesting partnership to, to make that happen. Can you talk to us a little about that? Because I don't think most people know this is going on. Sure, I'd be glad to. We have a partnership with the Campbell University School of Pharmacy, and we're one of their um, primary geriatric teaching sites. So we have a um, doctor of pharmacy on staff at Resources for Seniors who's dedicated her career to serving older adults and adults with disabilities. And we have two to three PharmD, so doctor of pharmacy candidates, come through right at the very end of their training. And one of the things that we're hoping to accomplish, and I think we're doing a pretty good job, is um, training up a new generation of pharmacists who have a real love and concern for the needs of older adults. So while these um, PharmD candidates are in our office, they are helping with chronic disease education. They're following some of our clients out in the community that have really complex pharmaceutical issues going on. They work a lot with helping folks um, select and choose a Medicare Part D plan based on what their individual needs are. They also spend a lot of time going out into apartment complexes that serve older adults in Wake County, um, following some of those folks that have like I mentioned before, some of those complex concerns and doing outreach and training and chronic disease self-management. One of the things that we know almost plagues the older adult population is the polypharmacy issues where you have a primary care physician and three or four specialists. And while there's been some improvement through the use of electronic medical records that are linked back to pharmacies, medication still falls with cracks and someone ends up taking the same medication under two different names, and now they've doubled up, and they don't know they've doubled up. Is those, are those the sorts of things that your pharmacists are able to catch and educate on? It is. And it's really unusual to have a pharmacist be able to spend that amount of time with an older adult or their caregiver in the community, right? So you kind of rely on your pharmacist at the retail setting and your doctor to have a sense of these things. But um, our pharmacist and our pharmacy tech that we have on staff or licensed pharmacy at Resources for Seniors spend an awful lot of time working with people on their med regimens. I think a lot of times the pharmacists get reg- just uh, regimented into the, or, or, or cubbyholed into this idea of they're there to fill the pills, when in reality, they have this great consultative component 
where they're able to really make a difference in long-term health outcomes for patients. Sometimes it's really nice, too, to have a doctor of pharmacy contact your doctor on mm-hmm. your behalf. They have to respond by law. The, do- the doctors have to respond to the doctors of pharmacy, at least in some way. They have to either say, yeah, that's fine, we want to keep the medicine the way it is, or they make the change, which is something I learned from a geriatric pharmacist we've interviewed before. You're right. And I think there are times when the caregiver or the older adult themselves has a hard time communicating some of their concerns. And it really helps to have professionals who can step in and and help make those connections. You know, and there's a geriatric geriatric pharmacist that we work very closely with at um, Transitions Guiding Lights. And And she says, you know, in the community, we need to all keep this in mind. To pick up on what Cooper just said about the pill counting, they hate that part of their jobs. They desire someone to go to that little consult w- window, no matter how busy they look, and ask them a question, because that is truly what they're trained to do, and they will take all the time in the world to do that. So I think sometimes we're all intimidated when we see all the white jackets at CVS or Walgreens standing back there counting pills. They really want us to actually interrupt them and ask questions, because that's truly using their knowledge. They, I mean, we all learned how to count in kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well. We touched on this earlier when we talked about uh, the innovation in home care or in home aid services uh, that resources for seniors put in place in 1974, if I recall. So could you tell us more about that program? Because fast forward all these years later, it's still in operation and you're still providing services and it's actually expanded in the types of things you're able to do for our community. Can you kind of flesh that out for us a bit? Sure. You know, there's actually well more than 100 different home care agencies in Wake County. And one of the things I mentioned early is we try really hard not to duplicate services that are being provided elsewhere. We want to be the ones that are filling in some of the gaps. So we actually provide just a very limited amount of in-home aid services at Resources for Seniors. But we do, one of our responsibilities is to manage certain sources of funding for the county. And we purchase an awful lot of in-home aid services on behalf of our clients. So these are folks that may need help with bathing and dressing and toileting and feeding just to stay independent and in the community. But we also offer respite programs where actually the caregiver is the client. Um, So we look at the caregiver as someone who needs a break from their caregiving responsibilities, and we can help purchase and provide in-home aid services to give them a chance to get out of the house. Now, how do you you also manage the waiting list for some of these programs? What does that really mean? Well, when people need in-home aid services and it's quite expensive and they can't afford it, or if they can afford it and they're just trying to find out what uh, what is out there and what's available, we encourage folks to call our information line and speak to our information specialists. Unfortunately, the demand for in-home aid services greatly exceeds the supply of funding for that. And right now in Wake County, we have waiting lists that exceed three years. We encourage people to consider adult day services as an alternative. As an alternative to that. Now, the funding for that is largely Medicaid dollars? No, no. The, the funding for in-home aid services is a combination of home and community mm-hmm. care block grant and some other state and, and local dollars. So one of the things that makes us a little bit different in Wake County is a lot of times it's actually the county that oversees the home and community care block grant as the lead agency and some of these other sources. But through the years, 
we have developed a really close partnership with Wake County, and they outsource a good number of those responsibilities to us. That's another example of this is not the Council of Aging you think it is. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your um, senior centers? Sure. Or, or the concept of the senior center that people often say, well, that that's what the Council on Aging is. Yeah, and it's a little bit different for us. So we actually operate two um, senior centers in Wake County, one up in Wake Forest and the other one out in Wendell. This isn't probably our preference moving forward um, through the coming decades. We think that the, um, the senior centers often fit the best in local municipal um departments of parks and recreation. So one of the models that we have been working on for the past decade or two is co-locating resources for seniors employee in some of the municipally run senior centers, two in Raleigh, one in Cary, one in Garner, where we do the things we're exceptionally good at, talking about information and referral, connecting people to resources in the community, doing a lot of education and outreach. So while we're still operating these two centers and having a great time in those locations, we celebrate and we're really excited about this movement in Wake County for possibly another few senior centers. We've got Kristen Brannick and Scott Waterhouse in the studio from Resources for Seniors. We will continue our conversation in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Bruno. And Cooper, uh, it's it's approaching that time of the year where you've got your big advanced directives event. So tell us a little bit about You this. know, everybody knows that I'm like this constant ambassador about advanced directives. And, you know, you're my you're friends, wearing your advanced directive t-shirt tonight. Even my you, hat. Yes, yeah, my advanced directives it's, it's hat. Nice. And, you know, nobody wants to see me at a cocktail party because I'm like, here, have you signed your advanced oh, directives? It's the documents guy again. Oh, yeah, here he, <laughs> here he comes. Here he comes. talk about death and dying. I really don't. And what I want to talk about, who's in charge of your health care if you're not able to speak for yourself? Because most of us want to have a sense of self-control or self-direction in our lives, even, well, sometimes even more importantly, when we're not actually able to literally speak for ourselves, mm-hmm. which... Every spring, we start talking about these advanced directives. Uh, Health, National Healthcare Decisions Day is April 16th, uh, which is the day before taxes, and it's, it's really done on purpose, death and taxes. The difference is you know when your taxes are due. You don't always know when you're going to need advanced directives to help guide your care. Uh, and, and often it's guiding care that isn't related to your death. It's really related to how you want to be treated. Um, it could be years before you ever pass away. So it, it's really who's, who's calling the shots and what do you want them to do for you. On April 14th, in the middle of the day, and there's going to be more details coming out on this show and also uh, on the TransitionsLifeCare.org website, uh, is uh, we'll be have, hosting an event in conjunction with the North Carolina Bar Association and the North Carolina Center for Compassionate Care to provide free advanced directives training, legal services, notary public copies 
Uh, we'll even have, you know, like lunch-style refreshments there. Come on out. We'll ask people to register if they can, but if they can't register, just come out and get the documents handled. There's literally no charge for it, including the legal services, courtesy of the North Carolina Bar Association. So April 14th, this is a save-the-date notice, and we'll have more details coming shortly. So this is a chance people can ask questions of you and of the the lawyers as well, right? Ask questions of, of, of me, ask questions of our attorneys, ask questions of some of the volunteers who are coming out. Um, and we're even planning to have a physician there because last year we had questions about how would a physician look at these advanced directives or how would someone on EMS look at these directives? And it's a great way to engage uh uh, your physician, actually, not just a doctor in that class, but your own physician in these discussions, because part of it is I know my wishes. Now my family knows my wishes. Does my doctor know my wishes? Mm-hmm. But I think on top of that, I can well imagine that I've, I've run into these questions from people before. Well, what does it exactly mean if I choose to have a feeding tube in or not, or a ventilator on or not? And so a doctor can try to explain, I think, that, you know, at end of life when your body is truly trying to shut down, what does it do to your body to then kind of artificially keep it going? Well, there's times that artificial hydration, artificial nutrition make total sense. If someone is in a a temporary state and you need to keep them hydrated, you need to give them nutrition, you Something need to give them medication. Yeah. You're in a reversible situation, you need your body to have time to recover. Absolutely, you may want those things. In other circumstances, you may not. So it's not like a light switch where it's, yes, I want all of this, or no, I don't want all of this. It really is a more sophisticated discussion. And it may be uncomfortable, but it bears having a conversation about it being able to talk to experts on the subject, and then being able to talk with your family and your medical providers to be sure that everybody's on the same page so that you don't have any surprises and they don't either. Yeah, and uh, I went to the event last year, and I I thought it was great. My wife and I, we went out there, and just having the discussion between ourselves of, you know, how we're filling out these documents and what our wishes were, you know, just having that conversation alone, you know, forget that, you know, we were in and out of there in, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, Uh, you know, forget that all that was convenient. Just having that discussion alone and being provided with those documents, that that was great. I think people are more afraid of the conversation than they really should be. Yeah. It's not that spooky. You know, people talk about how to raise children. They talk about politics. They talk about their faith beliefs. Um, and, and more relevantly, this time of year, we start to talk about college basketball. And that's when you can end up in some very challenging, <laughs> upsetting conversations. But these discussions are more spooky in people's minds than they really are in reality. And let's just get it out there and talk about it. Yeah, and this gives you a great reason, too. You know, if you're sitting around at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, it, it's kind of awkward to transition from, hey, the gravy's really good to, all right, let's, let's talk way, about it. By the way, I don't want a ventilator. Right. Yeah, yeah but if, you, if you're toast. saying, hey, we've got this great opportunity to go down and get this taken care of at no charge, uh, then it's a great reason to have the conversation. It, it's a great reason to have the conversation, but it also opens the door for further dialogue in your family. And then in the future, if your wishes change, it's not as hard to have that conversation the second time because not everybody's weirded out about it. Mm-hmm. It's You've already kind of taken the fear off the table and are just getting down to, what do I want? What do I not want? Under what circumstances do I want things? And, and part of it is who's in charge if I'm not? 
But the other side of that is who's not in charge? Mm -hmm. Think about it. Are there people in your personal sphere that you love them dearly, but you may not want those people making decisions regarding your care? Probably too emotional or Mm -hmm. couldn't follow through on what your wishes were. Or you've got five people that are going to have a squabble at the bedside. And I'm like, y'all take that somewhere else. Yeah, that's definitely something you want to avoid. And again, that is April 14th. Is that the date? April 14th. We'll have more details very shortly on the transitionslifecare.org website. Yes, and we will uh, also update you here on the program. So be sure to uh, tune in next week at 7. And Cooper, we, we need to t- we always talk about transitions life care, but we don't, uh, we don't always dive into exactly what it is, and uh, the concept of, of hospice care and what that is. So uh, let's, let's take a few minutes here and dive into that a little bit. Well, I think, well, well, again, we probably should have left the mics on during the break <laughs> to uh, talk a little Not. bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, to talk a little bit about the inpatient facility. And there were some questions that came up during the break about the inpatient hospice facility that we operate off of Trinity Road. They're on the border of Cary and Raleigh. It's um, about one mile west of the uh, RBC Center. Mm-hmm. And there's been PNC some, Center now. PNC Center. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, I'm reaching back on everything. Today. <laughs> He's not getting PNC any names, arena, right? <laughs> the PNC Arena, yeah. So uh, the question came up about can people go to the inpatient facility and spend their hospice time there like it's a six-month or mm-hmm. – and it's people think that. They but, do. I get calls all the time. In reality, it's, it's not like that. The, the hospice facility, the hospice home, as we call it, is a specific level of hospice care. There's four levels of hospice care. The highest level is what we sometimes call the ICU of hospice. It's for patients who have such uh, acute needs that we can't handle them in the home because home is where almost every patient tells us they want to be. Mm-hmm. So we strive mightily to keep patients comfortable at home. But if home is not an option, for example, there may be equipment that's needed that you don't have in the home. There may be a level of attention by a nurse or a physician uh, that you can't replicate in the home. The condition is too fragile. The, 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 the patient's symptoms are all over the place. At that point, uh, our staff, in conjunction with your doctor, may work with you to say, look, there's another way to do this care. And at that point, uh, with our assessment of the phys- and the assessment of the doctor, we can move someone into the hospice home. Sometimes that's someone who's been on our service at their house, mm-hmm. or it may be they're coming straight out of the hospital and they just have very acute needs. Stays there are much shorter than our typical stay. Our average length of service in hospice is about two months. And by contrast, instead of 60 days, the average time that we have in our hospice home is only about six. So it's a different level of care. Our goal is to get people's symptoms under control and get them comfortable and whenever possible, get them back home. So I think people really truly believe, you know, when somebody is older and they feel like they're near death, that instead of moving them into a traditional assisted living, it's time to move them into the transitions life care hospice home. And and that's not really an option yeah. for most folks. Uh, there are a few homes across the country that are set up that way, but our home is actually too small for it. We only have 30 rooms, and those 30 rooms service a catchment area that has about two and a half million people. 
Wow. So we just can't pull that off. Right. It's really for the sickest of the sick on hospice, and it's something that's coordinated between our staff and your physician. Very good. And if you want to find more information, transitionslifecare.org is the place to do it. That's transitionslifecare.org. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I want to thank our guests, Kristen Brannock and uh, Scott Waterhouse with Resources for Seniors. We really appreciate them both coming by this evening. Resourcesforseniors.com is the website if you want to get a hold of them. We are just about out of time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll do this again next Saturday night at 7. We'll hope you'll join us then. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. On behalf of Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton, I'm Jason Kong. Have a great night, everyone. This is News Radio 680 WPT. Yeah.